pray for them as, uh, as he speaks this morning. This is Dave, and this is Candy. All right. Hey, God, uh, I thank you so much for how you work in people's lives and uh, the way that you have moved in, in Dave and Candy's life uh, to get to the, to them to this place where they have uh, made this incredible decision to, to plant a church. Uh, again, it is, it is amazing and incredible. It's scary. It's terrifying. Uh, and in the end, I know that church planters find out how much faith they really have in you. Uh, and so, God, as a church, we want to support them and be there for them as best we can and help them in any way possible uh, as they do this new work in Aldi. And so let us, at this moment, let our hearts and minds and our souls just be focused on, on what Dave has to say as he shares his story and how you've been at work in that in such a way to lead them to this place where they are doing this incredible, incredible job um, in, in, in this huge mission field that we call the United States. And so lead them, guide them, direct them, protect them, protect their marriage, God, as they take these next steps. God, we look forward to hearing what Dave had to say this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thanks, thank guys. You, yep. Check, check. All right. I feel a little bit like I'm at uh, Grandma and Grandpa's house. I need to be on uh, my best behavior, so I'm going to do that. We'll start by saying good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. You guys put your hands together with me like this. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. All right. Very good. Very good. That seems uh, a little crazy. Chad wanted me to make sure and uh, demonstrate the church planners are normal, so I thought that would be a good way to, to start <laughs> off. Um, no, actually, I, uh, the reason that I did that was to introduce you to a couple of guys that do the same thing every morning, and uh, I'm blessed to work with them during the summer every summer at a camp called All God's Children Camp. Their names are Chris and Chuck. You see them on the screen there. And that's me and my brother-in-law in the middle. Been able to uh, volunteer at this camp for uh, a number of years now. And uh, Chris and Chuck both have advanced degrees in uh, social work and specialize in working with inner city kids. And uh, they help lead us, really, in dealing with these kids and, and uh, just trying to love these kids um, that are not used to, to receiving love. And if I'm, if I'm honest, it is, uh, it is an exhausting week. Uh, but I want to highlight for you just quickly the experience. They come in uh, tough as nails at the beginning of the week, these kids. Uh, they push our buttons. They disrespect us. They talk back. Uh, you get the idea. But we do this dance uh, throughout the week. And uh, they go to Bible class every morning. And they go to a class called Harmony. That's the class that Chris and Chuck lead with the, with the clapping and various things throughout the day. And uh, we just pray for the Holy Spirit to move. And uh, in fact, um, I had a, a boy this past summer that I was assigned to, and he would sort of gloat that he had already been to prison. Uh, that, was, that was the qualifying factor for the kids to attend the camp. Uh, so they had to have at least one uh, parent, sometimes two, uh, that are incarcerated. And that's how they get into this camp. And so he would brag that he had already, at the age of 10, been to prison because he was actually born in prison while his mother uh, was incarcerated. Uh, so it's a tough week, um, but interesting, by the end of the week, uh, when all these boys uh, and girls get back on the bus to go home, not a single one is not crying because 
they've experienced this love, this community that they're not used to. And uh, even in the toughest of circumstances, these kids are really seeing that people, that there is a, a community who is willing to do whatever it takes to love them. And so speaking of community, I just want to maybe step back for a second and uh, let you guys know this is my community. I grew up in Northern Virginia. I was born in Nashville, uh, but grew up in Northern Virginia. Uh, primarily, I uh, went to high school out in uh, Ashburn, the Sterling area. And uh, I have family all throughout the, uh, the area, Fairfax, D.C., um, and I'm, I'm what they would call bivocational. Uh, so while we're church planning, I still maintain my day job uh, at Oracle. And uh, there's just a few things that I'm, I'm passionate about, but one of them specifically is community. And I'm not sure what you guys did uh, over Thanksgiving, uh, a very rare thing for us. We watched not one, but two movies. And um, they were uh, Instant Family, great movie. And then we also watched... Um, uh, the Mr. Rogers movie, uh, uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor. Oh, somebody likes that movie. All right. Um, man, we need Mr. Rogers today, I tell you. Uh, but you can't watch that movie and not be moved toward community and love. And, uh, but it was a little bit challenging for me to watch because while I grew up uh, watching Mr. Rogers, um, I also grew up with sort of uh, a skewed view of love. Um, see, I was about the same age as the boys uh, that come to All God's Children Camp uh, that I mentioned earlier when I was sexually abused by two different individuals. And things were different back then. Uh, we didn't teach kids the same way. And so we didn't really talk about it. We just kind of moved on through it. And then a couple of years later, we moved to this area in Chantilly. And uh, my father would use the dining room as sort of a makeshift office. And when we would have, uh, you know, dinner as a family every now and then or a special occasion, he would move uh, his stuff over to this bay windowsill that we had. And just feet from where we would sit, uh, there was a stack of adult magazines, not only accessible but in plain view while we ate. And so uh, didn't, didn't, uh, didn't have uh, a good start as far as that goes. Would have been nice to have somebody like, like Chuck and Chris uh, in my life for those volunteers to sort of walk with me uh, in a community that was loving. Uh, now, by the time I was uh, having it all together at the age of 16, uh, I was well on my way to uh, having some issues, uh, the least of which, like I said, was a, a distorted view of love. No mention of college in my house, um, and so uh, I hatched this genius plan to drop out of high school and deliver pizzas. That was going to be my future. It was a great plan. Um, and I got permission to, to drop out of high school. Overall, not off to a great start. Um, but let me, let me just pause and point out, not knowing Jesus at, at this point, I'm just sharing facts. This is not a blame daddy for everything shtick. Um, I'm in the camp that believes once we all grow up and we become adults, um, you know, we own our stuff. We're responsible for working through that. And I, I figured that out after becoming totally exhausted, uh, blaming my father for everything. That's part of what motivated me to pursue a college education, that uh, and a soft voice in my ear from my wife um, telling me that I was capable. And so this past May at 46, I graduated from Liberty University with a degree and then thought, oh, thanks. And then... Five weeks ago, started graduate school and seminary. Uh, but you need a community to walk through that stuff, uh, that tough stuff sometimes. And growing up, I did not have that. 
Now, in 1992, I, uh, I found my first savior, which was the Air Force. After I dropped out of high school, I got in the Air Force on a GED, uh, and I was able to find a community, a community that I could be a part of, where I could learn uh, discipline and integrity and structure, people who cared about me. But something was still off. And so when I was stationed at my, my first duty station uh, in Germany, Ramstein, maybe some of you have, uh, have been there, um, I was invited to a Friday night Bible preaching. Um, and uh, that seemed very strange to me, um, but my friend told me there would be single ladies there. And with that distorted <laughs> view of love, I thought that was a motivating factor. Uh, and so, so I went. Uh, but that's not really what stood out to me when I got there. It was a uh, Vietnam veteran who'd taken a bullet through the face, was a missionary, preaching hellfire and brimstone. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I'm, I'm not kidding. I do believe he was staring only at me the entire time he was preaching. And so uh, my life really was not the same after that night, and I'll share why in just a few minutes. But for the next 10 years, I went down these two parallel paths that were constantly in tension with one another, right? On, on one path, there was, there was pain and brokenness and betrayal and lies and despair. But on the other path, there was freedom and love and grace and mercy and community. It's a lot like the Apostle Paul says in Romans 7, verse 15. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Every time I read that passage, I feel like it's a riddle. Can you get through it with all the I do's and do nots? But I know what that means. I know how that feels because that was my story. And in my darkest of times, I was finally able to reach out for help. I found a group of people willing to do whatever it took to love me. I went through a very intense time of recovery, and now I'm fixed. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not fixed. It'll never, never, never be really fixed. Uh, but God used that community to lift me up. Now, I wrapped up my Air Force career in early 2004, uh, but just before that, after 9-11, I was stationed at Prince Sultan Air Base for a year uh, leading up to the war in Iraq. Really cool experience. I was briefing generals, running VTCs with the president, just doing all kinds of cool stuff. But I was involved in an incident with a group of people off base in the middle of the night where we became stranded. And after that incident, I swore that I would never return to that part of the world again, no matter what. Now, again, vocationally, it was a year of you know, really being able to see the fruits of my labor on a daily basis and see that the job that I was doing was having a real impact on the mission. And so a year later, I landed in Omaha, Nebraska, which is the polar opposite of Saudi Arabia, and I struggled to adjust to the new, very important tasks of planning squad and picnics and retirement ceremonies. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced that, but it's, it's challenging. Um, it's crazy, though, how it parallels our faith as well. We see people engaging in their faith, really trusting God for big things, 
having an impact and seeing the fruits of their labor. Meanwhile, we feel like we're over here just planning company picnics. But that can change if you wanted to. Now, after I got out of the Air Force, I, I made my way back to this area and I found a good church um, and really started focusing on my walk with the Lord. I didn't want to just plan those picnics anymore. But I remember sitting in church one service and they announced that there was going to be a mission trip to the Middle East. And instantly I felt a chill go up the back of my neck, which I had never experienced before. And I had a really bad feeling about what that meant. But uh, it was really the, the first opportunity for me to demonstrate obedience to God and what I believed he was calling me to do. And uh, honestly, I was afraid not to respond. So I went to the interest meeting, and the guy that was leading the trip, uh, who's now my best friend, uh, was doing the interviews. And the first question he asked me was, so Dave, tell me, why do you want to go on this trip? Well, I don't, was the answer. Um, I'm an honest guy. And so he knew right then that he was picking me for the trip because he wanted to see he wanted to see how this show ended. Um, but I was struggling to give him an answer on my commitment, and uh, I was doing Bible study homework that night, and I prayed and I asked God. I said, I, "I'm not going on this trip uh, unless you make it abundantly clear, knock me over the head so that it is unmistakable that you want me to go on this trip. Otherwise, I'm not going." And so I finished praying, I opened my Bible to the uh, assignment that I had that night, and uh, the first thing I read was Romans 15, Paul says, I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. The mission trip was to Israel, and the mission of the trip was to minister to Palestinian Christians being persecuted. So I figured I better say yes. Now our team became this tight community willing to do whatever it took to love those that we were ministering to. And it was a life-changing trip. The people I met, the way I saw God move in my own life specifically, I experienced healing through the event that I uh, was involved in in Saudi Arabia. And uh, God again used community to bring healing and build my faith. Now, after my Air Force career and my recovery, I met my wife, Candy, she, uh, which you already saw, so this is not a surprise. You probably recognize her by now. Um, she got me after God fixed me up like a fine, restored automobile, you know. I'd already been through the, the ringer. But after, after telling me that she didn't want to date anyone because she was pursuing her MBA at the time, 14 months later, we were married. I'm not, I'm not sure if that says more about her or me, um, but, uh, but we spent a lot of time praying for what God wanted to do with our marriage. We were really, really intentional about what the ministry of our marriage was going to be. The way he brought us together, we just really felt like there was something uh, special that was going to happen. And so we started a couple small group. And uh, we reached out to all the couples that um, we were close to and uh, invited them to this new uh, small group, life group, that we were, uh, we were going to start. And I remember a conversation uh, where Candy said, you know, what if nobody responds? And I said, well, here's the thing. If we get two or three, which that's, those are pretty good numbers, um, that's a good, a good place to start with a small group. Well, all 11 couples responded yes. And so we had 22 adults and children in a 900-square-foot condo every week for two years. Kids throwing matchbox cars in the cat litter. Um, it was the best two years of our lives. 
And uh, God used, again, community to bless us and to grow our faith. And after that, and I wish I had time for this story, um, we, uh, we call it the Great Floods. Our condo flooded twice in just a few months, and then God opened the door for us to, uh, to move out to uh, Loudoun County. But to understand the significance of that move, we need to kind of go back to that night that changed everything. Back when I was stationed in Germany before I knew Candy, I went to that Friday night Bible uh, preaching in the single ladies and all that. A decision to follow Jesus I made that night. And uh, the whole uh, was filled, the emptiness that had plagued me and uh, only been made worse by the distorted view of love that I had. I just kind of felt this weight lift off of my shoulders that night. And um, not long after that, I felt a burden to just really give my whole life uh, to God and uh, do ministry in some way. But the 20 years that followed that life-changing night uh, sent me into a vicious cycle of people coming into my life on a regular basis, affirming this call to ministry in really obscure ways. And it would be followed by my next screw-up every time, the next step down into the basement of sexual addiction. So with every fall, I would justify why I was not worthy of God's call. See, I told you I'm not good enough. I told you I'm not qualified. He can't really use me. It was like every time I screwed up, someone was pouring miracle grow on the lies of my childhood. I was Moses. Remember Moses, Exodus 3.11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Exodus 4.10. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Exodus 4.13 he gets really direct. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. I was convinced I could not possibly be useful to God. And I thought for decades that I was unique in that, that way. But now I'm convinced there are people in this very room who believe that about themselves. And can I just tell you that, that God wants to use you. He treasures you and he wants to use you. Now, after our condo flooded twice, I remind you again, uh, we moved out to Loudoun County. It was with a desire to start another small group. A small group. We were all in for the small group, okay? We prayed about it. I met a guy that lived 50 yards from where our house would be met. He was formerly a pastor and was interested in getting back into ministry. And so we struck up a friendship. And uh, he would be the last person to affirm this call to ministry in my life before I would finally... Uh, respond. He'd say, oh man, you're going to be a pastor, bro. I can see God is doing something big with your life. Everyone can relate to parts of your story, blah, 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 blah. I'd heard it all before. And I finally said, okay, God, if you'll allow me to do this with a wingman, I'll do it. Okay? I will do it, as long as I don't have to do it alone. And in the span of three months, it's, it really is kind of a blur, those three months. But I started down this path and by the time I looked up again, that guy was gone. It was me and my wife on a one-way flight to church planting. And I mean, we're in, we're in residency programs doing assessments. And I am now absolutely convinced that God has a very twisted sense of humor. Or maybe he just got tired of waiting for me, one or the other. But it's been almost two years since then. We're about 10 months away 
from launching a new church in Loudoun County. And I don't know about you guys, but I always seem to fool myself into thinking that, okay, now I'm on God's path. I'm, I'm in God's will. I'm doing what he wants. Things are going to get easier now. <laughs> yeah, that didn't happen. Last year, while we were in the church plant residency, I had a golf ball-sized tumor removed from my neck at Johns Hopkins. My father passed away. I was on jury duty that after a two-week trial convicted a man of first-degree murder. So not, not too much going on last year. But I needed more uh, than ever. I needed community. And when you know, once again, God provided. Uh, our team was just sort of forming on its own without us even asking people to join us. They were approaching us. And before we knew it, we had a group of 18 people uh, surrounding us. So see, when I look back, I look back over my childhood, when I look back at, at these kids every year that come to all God's children camp, and I think, what, what is it that's missing? It's community. I was blessed to learn over the last 25 years the value, um, the importance of community, and over and over, God seemed to rescue me with community. And now, here we are. And I look at people in Northern Virginia who on the outside, they look good. They have great cars and big houses and a job market that pays well and is pretty well insulated. There's really not anything the community needs, right? Except community. Everyone is going so fast and doing so much, they don't even have time to look up, much less engage in a meaningful conversation. We are completely isolating ourselves. Do you know what the NIH has identified as one of the greatest public health risks in the United States? Loneliness. That's right, loneliness. The UK has a minister of loneliness. That's what it's called. I looked it up, it's true. The history of the world, we have never been more connected technologically than we are today. While at the same time, we have never in the history of the world been as disconnected relationally as we are today. We've gone from 3.2 friends per person to 1.8. I'm not talking about Facebook friends either. 40% of the population claim to have between zero and one confidant. We have a problem, and we need to get back to engaging in community. Remember Jesus said in John 17, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus was saying that if we're one, the world will believe that the Father sent him. That's all we have to do is become one in community. We have to realize, though, that we can't get it done if all we're doing is showing up to church on Sundays. Did you guys know that the United States is now the third largest mission field in the world, they're coming here to share the gospel with us. Look, there are ways that we do experience community. Don't get me wrong. People may be connected to other parents because of their kid's school or the sports that they're involved in. Maybe it's a cigar club with the fellows or a beer club. But all of those are temporary, seasonal, or acute in nature. Only the church can provide a constant, steady, transformational type of community. Let me talk to the uh, military believers for just a second. First, I want to sincerely thank you for your service. Second, I want to remind you of the very unique opportunity 
that you have to impact kingdom growth through community, through the relationships that you're building as you make your way through your career and through your travels around the world. And when Jesus gave the Great Commission in Matthew 28, the whole go and make disciples thing, the Greek word for go is really as you go. Always and all you do, in other words, right? I don't know if there's a better position community for bringing the Great Commission to life than our military community. And so I'm committed to praying for you uh, to that end. You know, it's, uh, it's funny. My ministry coach is, uh, and I, I don't know if that makes me sound important or like I don't know much, but I do have a ministry coach, and he told me a while back that I'm the everyman, the everyman. And I always thought that sounded weird, but, but now I know what he meant. I've got a story that people can identify with, and here's what I've come to believe. All that I've experienced and struggled through is not at all unique. As I've built relationships with men and women in the perfect community of Loudoun County, you know what we found? When you peel back those layers, underneath, find a lot of people that look like me, who share the pain, who can relate to the story. And that's why the vision of our church is to create a radically inclusive community that reflects God's story. We want to build, through this church plant, a community that doesn't isolate, but a community that is engaged in one another's lives, supports one another, not just on Sunday, but all the time. A community that comforts the hurting, but is still there when the hurting ends. A community that celebrates with you, but when the celebration is over, we're still there, like plantar fasciitis, you cannot get rid of us, okay? A community that can be real with one another and take the masks off. Now, I would challenge you guys to do the same thing. Where, I, where am I in community? Where am I not in community? How many people do I know that don't know Jesus? Maybe you haven't been able to, to get connected here at the journey uh, just yet. And a next step for you would be uh, this morning to find out how to get involved in a life group the next time they start up. Uh, maybe you're not really serving around here and you could, you could start that today. You could raise your hand if the Holy Spirit is leading you, 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 you want to respond to that today. Maybe you don't know how to run the soundboard, but you can learn. Maybe, maybe you don't know how to change diapers, but you can... All right, never mind about that. Remember, <laughs> remember the Great Commission, though, and start thinking in Greek. It's really make disciples as you go. Am I doing that? How can I engage in community outside of these walls? Who can I start a relationship with? Can you name five people? who live on your street. And if you can't, that's a great place to start. We're in between Thanksgiving and Christmas now, which for a lot of people is a joyful ho-ho-ho, jingle bells kind of time. But for some people, it's a very difficult and challenging time, reminded of loss or other difficulties in their life, and they're lonely. So why not engage those people? Invite them over for wine and dessert or uh, bake them some cookies, have a fire pit, something along those lines. Now finish with this. I've experienced life without community. And I've repeatedly been rescued by community. If we're supposed to be conformed to the image of Christ, we've got to get in the game. What I've seen over and over at God's, All God's Children Camp is kids who don't already have their parents. What those kids need is the same thing that the 16-year-old Dave Doherty needed. The same thing that the 47-year-old Dave Doherty needs. The same thing that Loudoun County and Springfield needs. We all need a community 
doing whatever it takes to love us. And I don't see it around everywhere when I look. It's, it's becoming more and more rare. So if there was ever a time we need a community that will do whatever it takes to love us, if there was ever a time that we needed Mr. Rogers back, that's now. So my hope for you guys as a church is that you engage in creating this kind of community in the church and in your life groups, yes, but in your workplace, in your neighborhoods, with the waiter, with the UPS driver. When we all do that together, then we'll have something worth clapping about. Can we say amen to that? All right.